Despite a deluge of pledges from companies to reduce their environmental impact, the evolving sustainability space and growing regulatory investor and social pressures have left many organizations questioning where to begin. Fortunately, my guest today has some seasoned perspective to offer on this very important issue. Hello, my name is Keith Larson, editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com, and welcome to this Solution Spotlight episode of our Control Amplified podcast, sponsored today by Seek. Joining me today is Chris Hamlin, Seek's Capability Development Lead. He has decades of experience in helping process manufacturers optimize their operations and believes that to truly achieve progress towards sustainability goals, they must really shift their focus from simple efficiency measures to metrics that better reflect environmental benefit. Welcome, Chris. A real pleasure to talk to you today. Hey, Keith. It's really good to be with you as well. The pleasure, thank you, is all mine, especially giving me the opportunity to talk about a subject that's so important and so dear to my heart. Absolutely. Well, I certainly agree with you on, on, on both those on both those counts. I was studying solar energy back in the back in the eighties when oil was eight bucks a barrel. Nobody really cared what I was what I was doing, but Hopefully we can uh, we can advance the cause further here today. So that's great. Maybe to start things off, I, I would say that we in the process industries have long focused on making operations safe and efficient, typically with an eye to profitability, obviously for for organizations. And in most cases, there would there seems to be already a strong correlation between sustainability and efficiency overall. Why is there a shift in perspective needed? That's a really pertinent question Keith and I think it kind of comes down to I think all of us that have worked as operating engineers on production plants um, throughout our careers have been doing things that have been focused around efficiency and cost reduction and we've always known that actually an efficient plant is also a plant that's running in as environmentally responsible a way as possible mm -hmm. so the question about well why do we need to change is really put is you know is a really good one and I think to get underneath that or to understand that, we need to start looking, you know, first of all, look at the language we use. Mm -hmm. At a business level, we talk about sustainability and profit. And profitability is being something that we have to find the right balance. The very language we use about balance says that we think of it as a trade-off. Mm -hmm. But my experience as a production engineer is that it isn't a trade-off, it's actually the same thing. The question is, so why has that come about? And I think it's fundamentally come about because sustainability in general and environmental performance specifically in the sustainability space is reported retrospectively because it's driven by regulation around carbon taxation or emissions trading schemes or whatever mm -hmm. so we only really collect the data after the event right. and when we go into that after the event world it becomes punitive right we're collecting data to avoid a levy or to reduce tax or to demonstrate compliance. If we can shift that measurement into runtime, the world that we've all kind of grown up in, all of a sudden sustainability and environmental responsibility and efficiency and cost reduction become most of the time the same thing. So why haven't we been successful there? And I think actually it was a challenge that somebody issued to me um, a few years ago was saying, well, Chris, you say you've done all of this stuff, you've worked around this space, how much CO2 have you actually saved? And the truth is, I don't know. I've spent decades tuning and improving combustion controls on big fired heaters and, and, and those sorts of that sort of equipment. I know I've made a difference, but I've never taken the time to quantify the impact that I've had. And I think that there lies the kernel of why we see this 
yeah. challenge that we need to address. So it's often not the not often doing different things. It's just looking at it through a different lens. Is that is that? Uh -huh. I think that's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And being explicit, you know, as, as, as anybody that's grown up in control engineering, you know, the old adage: if you can't measure it, you can't control it. Well, are we actually measuring the impact we have to be able to mm -hmm. realistically claim it? And that would be the the, the first question I would ask. Mm -hmm. So, how can companies start bringing these these uh, different metrics in line with one another? You've got the runtime temperatures and pressures and things like that, but then the, the the emissions that you report on a quarterly basis or maybe monthly. How do you, how do you start bringing you know bridging that gap uh, between the two? Well, I think for me, the one here, yeah, the, the the one biggest mistake I see people doing when in trying to move in this direction is to try and do everything all at once to try and design some grandiose reporting and measurement system that you can then go away and build an engineer as though you were trying to build a new ethylene plant right you know <laughs> don't think of it that way right i think what i advocate and see being successful is start with what's already being reported you know as a company your company your organization is reporting making these retrospective reports many times to many agencies today. So start with what's being reported today, retrospectively, and look to see what you can do to automate that reporting. So rather than try and calculate CO2 emissions based on um, fuel purchases, can you go back to the plant and look at fuel right into a heater? Can you actually automate that calculation such that you get an efficiency saving in terms of the reporting you're currently doing, but you've got a accuracy and timeliness benefit that you can get as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so really, it's gaining a better understanding in runtime, I guess, of sustainability performance. Once you've got that, how do you start making progress um, towards those uh, net zero, or net zero uh, pledges and, and, and really moving the, the needle in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I think it's right, you know, as you say, it's about taking that stuff that you're doing retrospectively and bringing it into runtime where you can, right? Getting the timeliness, accuracy and efficiency savings. Actually, the other thing that I should have mentioned is also when you make a change at a facility, build the calculation around the environmental impact, just build it, you know, we, we I ne certainly never did that as a practicing engineer on operating plants, right. but I wish I had, because I would then have been able to answer the question about how much CO2 did we save this week, right? But then your question about, you know, okay, once you've got that, once you've got that runtime visibility, what do you do with it in terms of starting to make a real difference? And I think mm -hmm. there are three things you can do. The first one is, once you've got that sort of capability deployed reasonably widely, you can look at best practice and benchmarking. So can you identify best practices? And you may be surprised where some of those occur. And can you make sure that um, your benchmarking performance generally across all of your facilities so that you can make sure that everything is running as well as it can do? The other thing that we you also need to be getting into is deviation detection. But more importantly, it's not really understanding that you're having an excursion, it's then building in the work processes to mitigate it. Mm. So if you see an unusual stack oxygen um, level, you've got something somewhere that helps the operators at that facility to respond to it in real time and to mitigate the impact. 
And then the third thing is as we become more comfortable and fluent with these environmental performance indicators, we start building them into our everyday activity and other business systems. So it's about integration with the way we run our business, it's exactly the same way as we have we've integrated safety and maintenance and operations and all those things. Let's bring sustainability and environmental performance into that mix. So it becomes almost a um, an optimization um, parameter that sits above the general, you know, temperatures and pressures and things like that that we're normally normally uh, monitoring in, in in runtime. So it becomes more of an optimization question or a, that defines part of the window operating window where where we want to be in the plant. Yeah, absolutely that. And it's, yeah, you're right. It sits above the temperatures and pressures, but it doesn't sit above all of the other optimization criteria that you're, that you're, it's one of yeah. the optimization criteria that's factored into the way you run the facility as a whole. Yeah. Makes sense. So what sorts of benefits will, uh, do you anticipate will ability accrue to organizations that can really report on sustainability of their operations in more of a, more of a runtime fashion? What difference can that make? in terms of uh, enterprise performance um, and, and uh, you know, other, other benefits? Well, I mean, the very first one is the confidence that comes from having real knowledge and understanding. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of work with a lot of very big companies and you know, quite often I'm looking at sustainability reports uh, or the sustainability metrics in their annual reports. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many of them, you can almost feel the nervousness in the numbers that they report because they've got five or six like superscript you know note one note two note three and they're all come back to subject to validation subject to verification subject to mm -hmm. right yeah so first 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 benefit is just having the confidence in the numbers that you're reporting now as an operations engineer or an engineer on a site that might not make a big difference but to your vice president of operations or your ceo that's going to make an enormous difference to the confidence that they have to talk about all the great work that's already being done but i think the real benefit comes from and actually it's really critically important that this that is, is that we get an economic return for doing the right thing from a sustainability and environmental point of view so ultimately where i see this whole thing ending up is that we start seeing premium pricing for environmentally responsibly produced materials and that can be you know anything it can be hydrocarbon based it can be whatever it might be to a certain extent it's you know this premium pricing based on environmental performance is if you like the new quality right it's the thing that enables us to get an advantage in the market and that's the, where things get really exciting because it starts generating a, pro, a genuine return for us for doing what we know is right. Mm -hmm. And it really has bigger supply chain implications as well. And when you start going into the, the, the scope three types of missions, it can have real, real, real differentiations beyond maybe just a premium pricing, but just uh, having your, your products accepted and, and you have to have those numbers in order to, to even sell the products. Is, is, does that make sense? Is that where we're headed? I, absolutely. I think you know, ultimately this is a prosper or die type proposition, right? Yeah. The co companies and organizations that embrace this are going to do really well from it because you will get really significant 
price and margin increases. It will be great for business. But for those organizations that don't, almost the more organizations that do, the harder it is going to be to operate in the market that expects that sort of reporting capability. So, yeah, it, I don't think we're there now and I don't think we'll be there for, you know, probably several years, but that ultimately is where this thing ends up. And I think it's, you know, it's always, it, it's always surprised me, but it's, it's a pattern I've seen many times over the decades I've been working in this industry that we're doing the hard bit first. Mm-hmm. And in, in this context, what I mean is when we think about consumer goods, consumer goods, there's a huge amount of effort already going into environmental performance reporting and measuring it's very significant margins already being made for environmentally responsible production mm-hmm. and they all use this life cycle analysis method methodology and they're becoming more and more sophisticated mm-hmm. but when you talk to people in that those downstream consumer market or manuf- downstream consumer manufacturing mm-hmm. industries they get hugely frustrated by the process industries because mm-hmm. they go so far up their supply chain and then suddenly there's no information right they're doing all sorts of intricate modeling about what happens to the packaging or the material and what's its end of life use and what's you know huge amounts of work being done there but up the supply chain try and find out anything about the actual plastic or metal or glass that was used to create whatever the product Mm. is they don't have any information and we don't supply it to them and it's not because we can't we we're great at measurement we're great at data we could if we set our minds to it and what happens as a result of that is that they just use industry standards mm-hmm. so every kilo of polyethylene everywhere in the world is treated the same for all these life cycle analyses that are being done by all of these yeah. consumer facing businesses now that sounds like it doesn't matter but it actually does matter because if these um, our, our customers are using industry standards. It means that we can't be rewarded for the great endeavors that we're already putting in place because we're all tarred by the same brush, mm-hmm. by that same average mediocre performance. Yeah. So getting away from that is really kind of fundamentally important. But as soon as we can, as soon as somebody is offering a certificate that says our polyethylene has this amount of entrained carbon, and generated this amount of CO2 and consumed this much water. And that goes with that certificate. That's manufacturing, downstream manufacturing is desperate for that sort of information and will pay a significant premium for it. So it's really an enormous opportunity for, for process manufacturers to, to have that certification, especially if it's assuming it's better than the standard <laughs> would dictate. Well, but yeah, absolutely. And and that's you know, that, that there is therein lies the implicit threat. But it's a real, you know, it's a real, you know, it's the real world, right? Is that you need yeah. to be better than the standard. But for the those that are, those are the industries, those are the manufacturers that deserve some sort of recognition and ought to be rewarded for producing what the world needs with the minimum possible environmental impact. Mm-hmm. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Any other words of advice for people just starting to get their arms around this around this journey? What, what they what they should be thinking about? I think you know the, the couple of things that I would sort of highlight. One is that the, we need to start start small, take small steps, but with big ambition. 
right? You know, ultimately, the whole world is trying to think and understand this idea of the circular economy. But the circular economy to be realized needs to be measured. And all the things we've talked about actually get us towards scope three measurement and ultimately our ability to say how circular are we and how far have we come and how far have we got to go. The other thing that I think is also really important in this is to, this isn't like a classical engineering problem where we have a known outcome and a known endpoint, and we just need to optimize the design that gets us there and then go build and, and, and implement or execute that design. It, it, the, the sustainability space isn't like that. It's changing really, really quickly and really, really rapidly. Um, and something that we design that's sort of fit for purpose today won't be tomorrow because the markets will have changed, the regulations will have changed, everything's changing all around us all the time. So in trying to address the challenge, I think it's really important that manufacturers do it in a way that you might call agile mm -hmm. or self-learning, right? The learning piece is really, really important. The ad hoc investigation, the, the, the ability to leverage the creativity of your whole organization and finding platforms and ways of work that enable that to be done, that are flexible and open to all, is, is key to being successful in this space. And it's not, that's not something we're really comfortable with doing in an operations mm -hmm. um, sort of environment. So looking for how can we create, provide that opportunity for ad hoc investigation, for collaboration, for creativity, but at the same time then understand how do we institutionalize the learning? How do we drive consistency in and comprehensive, consistent deployment in a world that's constantly changing around us? Mm -hmm. So it's almost about how do we become adaptive? We need to have an adaptive system that enables us to do this. That makes perfect sense. It really makes perfect sense. And I think increased uptake of these, these types of methodologies is certainly demanded and is going to be part of our future, no doubt about it. It has to be. Yeah. But yeah, as we say, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes back to visibility and runtime. If you can actually see what's happening right now in, in runtime, that unlocks all of this kind of rich mm -hmm. potential and addresses, helps us start to address that original barrier that I think has been in place for many decades around, you know, getting us away from thinking even subconsciously that sustainability is somehow opposed to profit mm -hmm. start recognizing that for most of us in most of our daily lives, the two go hand in hand and that a responsibly operated facility is also a profitable one. And you mentioned visibility into the sustainability. I mean, there are many studies that show just by knowing what the score is, how how effective we are are at driving those in the in the positive direction. So that visibility is an enormous change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's visibility now. I mean, again, we, we when we drive our car and that kind of miles per gallon needles moves sometimes we might think about kind of backing off on the accelerator a little bit mm -hmm. imagine the you know, but we're still in the world where you know the equivalent is the car tells us 
this week about how we drove last week and by that point the opportunity's gone right <laughs> so we need to get into like you know that miles per gallon gauge on the car that, that you have in your car that for some people will influence the way they behave and what they do yeah absolutely well thanks so much chris really for sharing your insights with us today really appreciate your perspective and insightful as always and for those of you listening thanks also for tuning in Thanks to, to our episode sponsor, Seek. I'm Keith Larson, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. My guest today has been Chris Hamlin of Seek, uh, the capability lead for that organization. And if you've enjoyed this, uh, this episode, you can subscribe at iTunes Store and at Google Podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off until next time. Thanks again, Chris. Really appreciate you taking the time. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Keith.